In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the character of the Old Testament is different than the character in the New Testament. There's a development that happens. In fact, the whole history, what we call uh, the history of salvation, this is uh, God working with humanity in order to save humanity. God's action, dealings with, and words to the world as he reveals himself slowly through history, this is called salvation history. God, God's word is a saving word. God's doings, his actions, are saving actions. That develops over time. It gets more and more mature. It gets more and more uh, grandiose. And more and more responsible as well. So the Old Testament character the feel that you get from the Old Testament, the spirituality of the Old Testament, is different than what you get in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the idea is that God is still slowly uh, revealing himself to mankind, and mankind can't fully receive what God wants to say yet, and it's gonna take time. Just like you raise a child, you can't speak to a child the way you'd speak to an adult, so God speaking to his people uh, in this kind of manner in order to raise them slowly and prepare them for his full revelation, which comes with Christ in the New Testament. So then in the Old Testament, things are said and spoken of in a certain way that's more understandable, more easily, more easy uh, to digest. So the character of the Old Testament is this more digestible uh, spirituality. And that's why in the Old Testament, the great virtue above everything is justice. It's law. It's God's rule. It's following the commands of God. And this is so much the case that if you follow, God gives his command. If you follow the commands, you are blessed with property, with a big family, with, with a long life, these kinds of things. And if you don't follow the commandments of God, then you'll be sick, you'll be poor, you won't have many kids or any kids at all, and so on and so forth. There's for following the commandments of God, there are rewards. For not following it, there are curses and punishments. This is what we do with children, obviously, right? I mean, when you have a child, you tell them, you know, eat, eat your dinner before you eat uh, your ice cream. And if you do, then you'll have ice cream. And if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna have ice cream. So there's rewards and punishments that come with raising a child, so God does the same thing uh, with his people throughout all of history. But when we get to the New Testament, with the coming of Christ is the coming of a more mature understanding of our relationship with God and what God really wants to reveal. So that if the, uh, the character of the Old Testament is justice, the theme of it is justice and following the laws of God perfectly, the great um, example of that is the first Psalm from the Old Testament. Blessed is a man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He's like a tree that is planted and that will not wither. But the wicked are not so. The wicked are like chaff. Chaff is like you know, pieces of cut grass. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's the character of the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, the character is different. We have to go now beyond justice. We have to go more than just justice. We have to go more than simply what's fair. And the reason for that is because 
the world is not fair and it's not ever going to be fair. That's just a matter of fact. We cannot stake our hopes on justice. It won't save us. We do our best, justice is a good thing, but it won't save us. The character of the New Testament is we have to go beyond justice now and now we have to love. Now we have to forgive injustices. That's how, we sa that's how we're saved. And the great example of that, if Psalm 1 is a great example that uh, shows us the character of the Old Testament, this parable that Jesus gives us today is the great example that shows us the character of the New Testament. The parable of the prodigal son, which now I want to talk about. How does it show us what true Christianity is? What is true Christian living? We find it right here. There are three characters, three main characters of, this, of the parable. There's the father, and he's obviously a good father, uh, a very respectful father. He doesn't force himself and impose himself, his own ideas. He doesn't do that stuff on his children. He's not controlling over his kids. There's the younger son, who is a jerk, basically, and basically tells his father, you're pretty much dead to me already, so why don't you just give me uh, the inheritance that I would get when you actually die? So that's the younger son. And what does he want to do with that inheritance? Does he want to build something? Does he want to contribute back to his family? Does he want to do something great for the community? No, he takes that money and he goes and he spends it on loose living. He goes out and he parties. He just entertains himself into poverty, basically. The father is a good father because he, I'm sure, knows what his son is going to do, and yet he lets him do it. He doesn't force himself on his kid. He respects the bad decision that his child is making. Now the younger son, I like the, the language in, um, well, the idiom in Chaldean, but I also like it in English. Uh, in Chaldean it's He like woke up to himself, he woke up to his soul, to reality. He's come back to reality. In the, in the English, he came to himself. So it's as if when we do, when we're like in the midst of sin, when we just do things just to please ourselves and just to entertain ourselves, we're creating for ourselves this fantasy world. And the, the parable describes that fantasy world as he went off into a far country. He just went off into the distance. Nobody knows where he went because he, he lost his mind. He went off into a far country. He created for himself this fantasy world where, all you have to, where, where life is all about pleasure and comfort and entertainment and just nice sounds and, and big lights and just uh, entertainment and parties and things like that. That's not reality. That's just not life. And as much as we try to force that, reality is going to come back and show us itself. And it does for the younger son who <laughs> runs out of money. He can't, he, can't, he can't keep creating this fake life anymore. So reality comes back by way of poverty. And then he came to himself. This is just a quick side good um, lesson from this parable, which is that, yeah, oftentimes God will allow us to suffer great desolation, like poverty or some other thing, sometimes health or whatever it is, so that we come back to ourselves. Suffering plays this really good um, tool. It becomes a really good tool for that. Waking up to reality. And he does. He wakes up to reality and he realizes, okay, I've made this gigantic mistake. 
I can't even eat the food that pigs eat. This is how desolate I've become. And so he repents and he says, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy anymore to be, to be your son. Just make me like one of your servants. I, I can at least come back as a slave, even if I can't be a son. It's okay that I can't be a son. I don't deserve it because I've messed up big time. And I wouldn't presume that you would elevate me again back to the status of son. So he goes to, to his father, and the father is a good father. On the one hand, he respects his bad decision. On the other hand, he, doesn't, he meets his son while his son is coming to him. He runs after him. That means his father is gazing for his kid to come back. He's seeking for his child to come back. And when he sees him, he kisses him, and he embraces him. And his son says, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy to be called uh, your son. And the father just disregards that completely. He said, nope. Put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, uh, kill the fatter calf, we're going to have a party because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. Why is he a good father? Because he forgives him for, for 100%. He takes him back as if nothing happened. He understands he made a mistake. And it's okay that people make mistakes. People do make mistakes. And he wants him to be a son again. He wouldn't accept it, uh, the fact that he was just a slave. So he doesn't sit there and say, why did you do this? And how come you did that? And I can't believe this. And I can't believe that. What are people going to say? He doesn't shame him. How would the son feel if he shamed him? How would the son feel if he heard from his father who he's going, he's going to apologize? He's obviously embarrassed and feels really guilty and all these things. If the father just berated him and just kind of put salt on the wound of that guilt, how would the son live going forward? Probably all, not all that happy. Would the son be able to grow from this? No, probably not. He'd be oppressed. Would the son expand his life? Probably not. Would the son be free from that guilt? Or would he be trapped in it? No, certainly he'd be trapped in it. And then you get the older son. The older son who represents justice, whereas the father represents love and forgiveness, Christianity. The older son represents justice. It's not fair that this son of yours who spent his money on your money, on harlots and partying and entertainment, that you killed for him the fatted calf. I've never done anything to disobey you. I've done everything that you wanted. I never sinned against you. How is it that your younger son who did sin against you is the one that's rewarded? He doesn't understand love. The older brother doesn't understand love. He's stuck on justice so much that he becomes small-minded, small-hearted, bitter, and angry because the world is not fair. There's a couple lessons for us to learn from this. Many. This is, I think, one of the most important parables in the whole Bible. But a couple of ones that we can talk about today. One, don't stake your heart on justice. Don't wait for everything to be fair. It's never going to be fair. Life will always be unfair. It will always be unfair. 
don't wait for it to be fair in order to be happy. You'll, you'll never be happy if you wait for things to be fair. It's always going to be unfair. Justice is great and we should all strive to be just people and righteous people and to be fair and to do the right thing. But when we don't, let us forgive ourselves. And when others don't do it to us, let us forgive them as well. Let's be more like the Father. Because I'll tell you, as far as our people go, Chaldeans, we're not very good at that, to be honest with you. Our Chaldean people are not good at being like the father of this parable. They're great at being the older son, who wants everything to be fair, and who shames people, their, especially their children, shames people into doing what they want them to do, because we have a reputation to uphold. You represent the family, and you have to make me look good. I want you to be like this and like that kind of person. I want you to do this and that thing. Therefore, you have to act like this and you have to do these things. And when you don't do these things, you're a bad person. And when you don't do these things, you're disappointing me. And when you do these things that I don't like, now all of a sudden, you're degraded and you're shamed into becoming the person that I want you to be. Well, that's not like the, that's not like the father in this parable, nor is it the father in heaven, nor is it godly, nor is it Christian. It's worldly and it's disgusting. And the problem with this is that we have raised an entire generation of Chaldean kids. This, Chal this generation of Chaldean kids is a battered and broken generation. I'm telling you that because I hear it all the time. Look at the younger son again in relation to his father. By being accepted and welcomed and invited again to be a son by the father after he sinned greatly He's done way worse, the younger son did way worse things than you and I can imagine. Certainly way worse than any of your children have done, for example. And yet the father accepts him fully. How much healing came to the younger son because the father forgave him right away without shaming him before, without having to teach him a lesson first? How much healing did the younger son receive by love, not by justice, but by love? Love heals. In fact, St. Peter in the New Testament says, love covers a multitude of sins. Of course it does. Brothers and sisters, salvation for us, joy, will not come by fairness or by justice. It will come only by love. You will only heal yourself and anybody around you by forgiving them immediately and without having to get your two cents in first. You don't have to do that. Just love them. Just forgive them and show them that they are people that are worthy of love. That will heal all things because that is exactly what God does for us. When you come to confession and you go to the, to the priest and the priest says, or you tell the priest, I did this and that awful thing, whatever it is, the priest responds and says, I absolve you. I hope no priest berates anybody. That would not be a good thing. That's not, that shouldn't be done. The priest should respond with, I absolve you in the name of God. That's what we must do for one another as well if we're going to live in the New Testament instead of just being stuck in the Old. Amen.